0: All right, Tom. Our next question comes from another MBT forum user, and it's on the passing of time in different virtual realities. My question for Tom has to do with the comparative passage of time between virtual realities. I understand that everyone's perception of the passage of time varies. This is not specifically the focus of my inquiry. More narrowly, I'm curious about the difference in the amount of time between non-physical matter reality and physical matter reality virtual realities in a system generated by the same big computer. Here's what I'm wondering. When you switch between the data streams of various and specific virtual realities at will, do you have a perception of what date or time it is in each virtual reality? I'm assuming that time in NPMR is chronological as it is here in our PMR virtual reality, Let's say that yesterday you visited NPMR Virtual Reality 1. Do you have a perception of when that was that you were visiting? Now, let's say that you were to visit NPMR Virtual Reality 1 again. Today, one day after you last visited NPMR 1, since so many more Delta Ts have cycled or elapsed there than here, Would you find that many days, months, or years have elapsed there while only one day has elapsed here? And wouldn't an NPMR avatar have the opposite experience if he could visit a given PMR virtual reality at will? While much time has passed in his home, NPMR, perhaps a week or so, would he find that only a few minutes had passed since his previous visit in that given PMR virtual reality.
1: Well, from my let me just tell you what my experience is and we'll take it from there. When you go to a different reality frame, you don't notice the change in time. It's not like you think oh, this last one was really fast and now, you know, the last one was fast and this one's now comparatively slow because you can't make that comparison. You're either in one or you're in the other and the time seems natural both places. So when I am in a different uh, physical reality other than this physical universe, some some other virtual reality has a very tight rule set, time seems to flow there just as naturally as it does here even though the clocks are totally different clocks. One could be faster than the other, but they're probably similar as far as the, the, the functionality of a clock. You know, the clock allows events to go forward. And if you had another physical type virtual reality, and my fingers up here, you can see, and that was a quote, physical type virtual reality, then it's going to be similar with the way the time runs the delta t is still has to be functional it can't be so slow that time you know it takes forever for you to lift an arm you know or open your mouth or say a word and it can't be so fast that everything goes by too quickly it seems to always be just right it's a it's a it's a time that where the reality is made that the uh, the rules The uh, the data stream passes you data in such a way that it seems perfectly natural time, no matter what reality frame you're in, it works fine. So you're on that time rather than your own time. Now, if you are in multiple reality frames at the same time, I've never actually had the experience of, of one of them going in fast motion and another one going in slower motion. They all still seem to go in a reasonable amount of time. I'm getting a data stream from both of those other realities and maybe this reality too, and they all seem to progress normally. Well, I think that's perhaps the larger consciousness system feeding me those data streams in such a way that they all make sense to me, such a way that I can process them. If it's too fast, I couldn't process it too slow. It would be boring. I wouldn't be able to keep my, my focus on it long enough. So. I get those things in a time that suits me. I don't think there's gonna be a lot of variation between physical type realities because they all have to work pretty much the same for pretty much the same reasons. So that's, uh, that. time is an interesting thing though. Um, You often have different kinds of perceptions of time. You've, you've no doubt had a dream, and that dream maybe have gone even weeks in the dream, but certainly hours, you know, you were in the burning building and it cleared out and the fire trucks came and it goes on and on, all that would have taken several hours, but your dream was actually only two minutes long as far as the time you were dreaming here, the time of your of your uh, REM uh, sleep See, it would be very quick. So that sort of time, It's different in that you can get a data stream that runs very quickly when you don't have to do all the physical things. The, The physical things you're doing there are just it's just information and it doesn't involve anybody but you. Your own story, your own story can come to you as fast as you can process it. And again, it seems like normal time the time is relative to the to the virtual reality but I've never found any big inconsistencies in time other than my own perception now there's another interesting thing about time is that uh, if you are in a a very demanding let's say situation let's say you're in an automobile accident and in this automobile accident you have to take some very quick steps to avoid catastrophe but you only have a, maybe two seconds in which to do a series of three or four steps. Many people find that time slows down for them in such a situation. Suddenly they are doing things, you know, steering the wheel this way, then that way, applying the brake, applying the cylinder, doing all this stuff. When they find out later all of that happened in you know, a second or two It seemed to them it was much slower. They wouldn't have been able to react so fast. Well, that can happen for several reasons. One, your focus focuses down on just a few elements of reality. You're no longer having the big picture and all the scenery and everything else that's going on. There's just this, just very simple, just the most critical elements are in your view. Everything else is gone. That means you have a lot more attention to put on those critical elements and that would seem to make time go slower. But there is another factor involved with time, and that is we are pretty slow moving things in our reality. If we have a delta T in our physical reality of like 10 to the minus 44 seconds, it hardly makes any sense for our motion to be split down into the 10 to the minus 44 second pieces because we just don't move that fast, that that makes any sense for us so in 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 computer realities what you do is you have the slow things in a slower loop the fast things in a faster loop so you have a loop where in a you know i do this i i i describe this in my book if you are, are modeling something and in this in this virtual reality that you're modeling you have people and you only increment them every 10th of a second because a person hardly does anything in less than a tenth of a second It's that's worth calculating. It's too small. They they don't move that fast. Whereas you might have something really fast like a bullet or a rocket or something that you'd have to model every, you know, you'd have to update it every uh, ten thousandth of a second or every millionth of a second because it does change in the physical world considerably in 10,000th of a second because it's moving very, very fast, you see, and if you want it to have smooth motion, you're going to have to update it more often. So we may be in this automobile accident focused on just the essentials and our MAN model that's only running every 10th of a second in order for us to survive this and maybe the system thinks it would be good that we did because we have some things to do that aren't done yet, then we may start getting time every hundredth of a second instead of every tenth of a second. Now we can operate in ten times the speed, if you will. We've got a hundred incre- or we got ten increments for every one we had, right? And instead of a tenth of a second, it's a hundredth of a second. So now we're ten times faster. We can look at the data coming in is now coming in in much smaller increments, and now we can steer the car this way and that way and do all kinds of things that only actually in the real time take a couple of seconds, but we haven't spread out because we're getting a, a, a faster clock rate, if you will, for a little bit. So now whether that actually happens that way or not, I don't know. I'm just saying that's a possibility because it would be foolish for the system to increment people motions at every 10 to the minus 44 seconds when a people doesn't do anything Fast enough to warrant those kinds of computational resources, so it could be that time actually can be somewhat plastic for us in this reality. That doesn't mean it doesn't always have a moving forward. It just means sometimes it may seem to go faster or slower based on what we're doing. Now, if you are uh, in a in some uh, in some situations. like uh, you're really tired of being at work and you really want to go home and you look at the clock and there's an hour to go. That hour takes at least two or three hours to go by because every few minutes you're looking at the clock and you'd swear that at least 10 minutes have gone by and only two. You know, well, when you're anxious for something to get done, What does it say? A a watch pot never boils. If you stand there waiting for that water to boil, it seems to take a very long time where if you just put the water on and go about doing other things, it seems to boil very quickly. Well, that's just a matter of attention. That doesn't have to be, you know, the system fussing with clocks. That's just where your attention is and how many, how many uh, samples you're taking. You know, we tend to sample things. We look at the pot, take some samples for that or where that is, and then we go off and we're doing our sampling someplace else. Our increments go by, and then we come back and we sample again on the pot. Oh, it's a lot further along. Well, it seems like that pot boiled real quickly because you're just not sampling at a very high rate. We're sampling at a very low rate, whereas we stand there and stare at it. We're sampling at a very high rate, so we get a lot of times where nothing much has changed. So all of that is perspective sampling rate. Um, It makes time seem to go faster or slower, but um, depending on how you define time, um, we could say that's just your perspective. But sometimes your perspective may be because you're getting a data stream with a higher sampling rate than you normally get, or a lower sampling rate. But to you, it always seems natural, and that's my point. So you go from one reality to another, it seems natural when you're in that car accident and you're doing all of these things, it doesn't seem like times any different. It seems like, well, you got time to steer this way, time to steer that way, time to brake, time to accelerate, time to do all these things at just the right moment. It's just, you realize later that all that happened very, very quickly in your mind. You weren't moving super fast. You were just doing your normal things the best you could to stay alive and keep the car, all four wheels on the ground. And uh, you come out the other end and uh, somehow it just seemed to work out. You didn't have the impression of moving in super speed. Everything seemed to be normal, you see. So these, these impressions we have of time being plastic are real in the sense they appear plastic to us. And in some cases, they might be if our data, if our data stream gets some extra, extra samples in it. Or if we're doing something that requires very few samples, it may seem like uh, time standing still for us. Because we're not getting very many samples. So time is, a, is an interesting thing. But, yes, it does always go forward. It doesn't go backward. And it it uh, doesn't automatically split off new reality frames with their own clocks. All that's done just in the history databases. So I hope that kind of answers the question with time in in general. There is no real difference that I notice in going from one to the other. They all seem to be normal on a normal time. But when you run on whichever clock you're running on, that seems normal. So it doesn't mean that that, uh, they aren't in different times. It just means you generally don't notice it. And even when you are getting multiple realities together, it seems you don't really notice it, That you get in your data stream, rates, sample rates that always seem normal to you. So time always is, is uh, flowing forward and most of the time seems like it's at a very normal rate, except when we suddenly blink and realize that only a few seconds have gone by and gee, we did an awful lot in that time or, we wake up from a dream and feeling wow, that dream just took a took a week. And what? It was only a minute and a half? How could that be? Well, data rates can change. Sample rates can change. This is basically information. And sample rates can be adjusted so that it seems normal to us whenever it's happening.
0: All right, Tom, the next question comes from an MBT forum user, um, somewhat related to Ingeborg's Ingeborg's, uh, previous question. Um, He asks, I've stumbled upon this concept of tulpas. Uh, Wikipedia says this, um, among other things, in recent years, a subculture has formed online who create hallucinations or imaginary friends, which they call tulpas and believe to be sentient. Do these people actually create a new individuated unit of consciousness with free will? Would it have the ability to incarnate in this PMR? Are children doing the same thing when they're lending their personalities to their favorite stuffed animal?
1: Okay. To answer the first question, no. They're not creating a new individuated unit of consciousness or uh, free will awareness unit that then goes on. Uh, They're doing one of two things. They are... Imagining they're using their imagination to create this information. Your imagination is a great creator of data. And that's not to say that it's inferior. You know, we have this idea, oh, it's just your imagination. Like, well, that isn't real. You know, you imagine it as different than if it were real. You have to look at it from the sense of data. You get data and you interpret it. You don't get the source of the data. You have imagination, that's one source of data. You get other sources of data that you uh, don't create, that are created outside of you, elsewhere. That's also data. There's no flag on any of that data that says, oh, this is data that came from your imagination, and this is data that comes from someplace else. Data is data, and it all mixes together, you see? It's all one thing, it's, it's not different. So, which one is more real than the other? Well, they have different sources, but this is data. So, we don't want to look at our imagination as something that's somehow false or fake or not real. It's just another source of information, and it can be a very useful source of information. We can take the information from our from our uh, uh, imagination, and we can learn from it just like we can learn from the data that comes in on the data stream about this virtual reality. Uh, How many people uh, learn how to uh, get up to have a speech to give? I'm gonna have to get up in front of 100 people and give this speech. They're terrified. How do they get over that? They give that speech in their imagination over and over again. They stand up and they give the speech. They imagine the crowd, they imagine themselves. They may do it in their dreams. They do it to the point that they're comfortable with it. And then they get up and give a speech and they're comfortable because that's the hundredth time they've given that speech after all. It just flows out very easily. And they did all that with their imagination. So it's not like this imagination data stream is some kind of fake data stream that isn't of any value. It's just got the same value labels as any data stream. It's just one you create. Well, your consciousness, you create information. That's part of what you do. You receive and create information. The data is valuable, okay? Often when you're learning to to um, communicate, when you're learning to go out of body, using your imagination as a tool to help you focus on something can be very valuable, okay? And it's not like, well, that's fake, and that I want is real those are not helpful differentiations. You have to say that I'm gonna have this experience and I'll use whatever tools I can and I'll need to judge this experience eventually to see whether this is outside of me or inside of me. And you can do that eventually, but don't try to do that too soon. So you have to uh, use your imagination like a tool and actually, There's not a whole lot of point in the end of whether it's inside of me or outside of me. Is is it useful? That's really the question you want to ask. Is what I get from this information useful? If you're talking to yourself and it's useful, great. If you get information that's outside of you and it's not useful, so what? You see, it doesn't matter really the source. We don't ever get to see the source. We just get to see the data and interpret it. The imagination is another part of you as consciousness that creates data that can be very helpful and useful to you. So being hung up on is it me or outside of me is fair enough question in the beginning because you really would like to make a connection with things outside of yourself. And to come to that, you just need experience. Just keep working on it until you have enough experience to decide whether it's inside or outside of you. But you will never decide that with a with a uh, probability of one. You will never be certain of that because it's all information. It all comes to you in a data stream, and the source is never yours to interrogate. All you get is the information. Okay, but you can be you know, as reasonably sure of that kind of decision as as anybody can be, you can make it a 0.999 because you get information that's just not inside of you. And that's obvious that uh, it didn't come from inside you because that's just not contained there. And other ways that you can get information, things that you would have no way of knowing. Well, I can remote view what's going on in such and such a place. And how would I know that in my imagination? How can I imagine what's going on 100 miles away? And be spot on. Well, probably got that from someplace else, not my imagination. You see, you can, over time and experience and doing these things, you can get a sense of the difference between your imagination and something outside of you, but you'll never get to a, a probability of one. There'll always be some possibility that whatever you got, you created. So you know, don't get hung up on on where it comes from. Just focus on how valuable is it. So that'd be my first thing. We talk about in, when we talk about uh, imagination and uh, and so on. Is that imagination is a very valuable, useful tool, and not to be tossed out because it's somehow false or fake. That's not it. The data is as valuable as any other data. It does it matter where it comes from if you learn from it, if it's useful. The source is not relevant. A source is something we want to wrap our ego and intellect around. We want to vet the source and tell whether we believe it or not. Okay, Donna, what was the other part of that question?
0: Well, uh, the other part of the question is um, they believe them to be sentient. So are these created beings uh, actually sentient. Uh, they exist because they're made out so, of c- creation. Yeah, and then...
1: Well, I, okay, let me answer that part. There's a lot of points in this question. I, me- I answered the first part was no, you didn't create an IUOC. Okay. The second part was you know, where does it come from? And if, and It's your imagination is one, and the second one is that it's an interface with a larger conscious system, just like guides or anything else. It's a being that is being that you are connected to. It's it's a data stream from the larger conscious system that you're connected to because you can use it because it's valuable because you're going to learn something from it because it's going to help you understand the larger reality. Um, there's some value in it for you, so you get that connection just like you might get a connection to a guide or if you're a kid to an invisible playmate. Um, or whatever, it's something that is useful to you at the time. So the larger consciousness system that cares and is interested in your growth gives you a connection. Now it has nothing to do with your imagination. This is coming from the larger consciousness system. But you're not going to be able to tell the difference. And don't worry about the difference. Take whatever you get and use it and learn from it as best you can. So those are the two ways. It can come from inside of you or outside of you. And the difference between those is generally not very important. And yes, it's real. Data is real. Information is the realest thing that there is, right? That's that's what, that's what defines this reality is information. It's real. It's real information. And you can interact with it. You can learn. You can give to it. You can help it. It can help you. Um, it's, uh, you know. The question is, are these real beings? Because we want to we vet the, the source. Yes, larger conscious system creates an interface with you, then what's a being? How do you define a being? It's something that interacts with you, something that you can exchange information with, something that uh, responds, something that can give you information. So we call that a being. So is it a real being though? Well, there are no real beings in the sense you're talking about. Is it physical? No. Will it ever be physical? Probably not. Is it real? Yes, it's information. And it's real whether it's your imagination or whether it comes from the larger consciousness system. Information is real. You see, it's not that, well, there's that real stuff and then there's that fake stuff that's just information. It's not like that. All that real stuff is just information, too. You just believe it's real. Information is as real as it gets. So, yes, it's real. Yes, you can learn from it. Yes, it's interactive. Yes, it's sentient because it's talking to you and you're talking to it. And it can make choices. What it tells you, it has to make its own choice, right? What to tell you now, is that your your imagination making the choice? Is that the larger conscious system making a choice? What difference does it make? You are a piece of the larger consciousness system. Is your imagination any different than the larger consciousness system? Only in its limitations. Other than that, it's the same thing. You see, it's a source of information. You are consciousness. You are a piece of that larger consciousness system. So when I say the larger consciousness system puts it in your data stream or you put it in your data stream, there's not a whole lot of difference because you're really a piece of the larger consciousness system, aren't you? You see, we get all wrapped up around what's real and what isn't, and that's not the right question. The right question is, is it useful? And the second the second right thing to know is live gracefully with uncertainty because you won't know. And knowing is not important. Knowing is only important to your ego. It's not important to any other part of you. It's just your ego wants to know for sure. Am I talking to myself which is stupid or am I talking to some other entity which is real? That's your ego, needs to know that because your ego doesn't want to be stupid. It wants to be smart and if you're talking to some other bona fide entity with a free will, then you're smart. If you're talking to yourself, you're stupid and that's your ego. So let the ego go and talk to with it, whatever will talk to you if it makes sense, if it's useful, if it's a friend, if it communicates to you, of course it's a being. That's how we define beings, things that interact with us, things that talk to us and exchange information with us. That's a being. It uh, drives you crazy, doesn't it? Yeah.
0: All right, Tom, the next question from one of the MBT forum users. What can you tell us about disassociative identity disorder, also known as multiple personality disorder, thought it would be interesting because it most likely could be explained by MBT. I would guess that these avatars are played by multiple IUOCs, but maybe there is something else going on here.
1: Okay. As usual, there's always more than one way that something can happen. There's very few things that are so uniquely singular that there's only one source or one way that they can happen. That's, that's more rare than common. In this case, there can indeed be multiple uh, free will awareness units in the same person. That's a possibility. Now, that's a very rare event, but it is a possibility. Um, It could be that that other person is just another manifestation, you know, like we just talked about, you know, it could be out of your imagination. And then we say, well, what's the you know? There's very little difference between your imagination and you know another IUOC, another IUOC, or another free will awareness unit. It's just another piece of the larger consciousness system. So is your imagination. You are a piece of the larger consciousness system. So what is it? Is again, it's the same question. Is that a real thing? So These two different IUOC, two different uh, free will awareness units, or is it just that the person is functioning on two? Different levels. They function with two different personalities, and both of those personalities are a part of them. It may just be one free will awareness unit that has two minds, if you will, two different aspects of itself that both uh, uh, either share or compete with each other. So it's it's us that have this idea. We need to make a like a physical model out of it. We need to pin it down to. No, it's just two free will awareness units or something else. But actually it can be all of the above. It's possible that there's more than one free will awareness unit sharing something. Not particularly uh, (laughs) the best way to learn, you know. Um, Usually you do that better on your own. Could happen. Sometimes people change personalities. It is not, you know, when you have a digital system, there's almost nothing that's impossible. There's lots of strange things that can always happen in the margins. That's just the nature of a digital system. It's such a flexible system that lots of things can happen and anything that can happen usually does happen at least, you know, once in a million or once in a hundred million, it just happens. So you sometimes will have a being who wants out, they're done. They've had it with this reality, and you may have another being that has a particular thing they want to do, but don't really want to go through all the being born and the childhood and the, and the rest of it either. And they may make a deal, and that person may get a different, a different free will awareness unit right in the middle of their life. They may go to bed one free will awareness unit and wake up with another. It's possible. No, it doesn't happen often. That's the you know maybe it's one in ten million or something. But anything that can happen generally does happen somewhere in the margins. Sometimes it's a mutual arrangement. For the most time, when this when this happens, and uh, you know that's a it happens that kind of thing happens uh, more often uh, with the babies as infants. An infant has a problem. An infant has a, uh, some kind of, of a medical problem, and the, the entity that was going to be that you know use that infant as an avatar, they say, "Oh, wait a minute, I didn't bargain for this. I don't know that I want the challenge of going through life with one leg. You know That's probably more than I can deal with. And there'll be some other uh, consciousness that'll say, well, I'd accept that. That sounds like a good challenge to learn to deal with that profitably. Uh, I think that would be just about what I'm ready for now. And you may get a swap right in that first, uh, you know, week or two or month because of that sort of thing. That actually happens more than the ones that would happen a swap, you know, in midlife or something. But these things do happen in the margins. Again, it makes no difference. Not like, oh no, you know, now it's a different person. It's, it's we, make, we make mountains out of molehills. It's just things happen and our job is to deal with them, deal with them in a way that, that makes us grow up, that helps us grow up. We deal with them with love and with caring. That's our job. What happens isn't that important. How, how that baby comes to us, whether that's the third individuated unit of consciousness using that baby as an avatar is really irrelevant. Ours is to love that baby, interact with it in a way that is valuable for that baby and for us. So It just doesn't matter. So sometimes there's personality changes. Sometimes people have multiple personalities. Sometimes it's just uh, uh, within their own consciousness, just one avatar. I mean, you know, one avatar with just this one uh, free will awareness unit that has uh, kind of two personalities struggling with, with uh, dominance or even just getting along and uh, sharing the body. Or it could be two different consciousnesses. All of those are possible. And maybe a couple of others that I, you know, I haven't thought of. It's, it's a very flexible system.
0: Tom, since we're speaking of disorders, one of Jesse's questions was, what is a psychopath and how do they perceive the world?
1: Well, there's again a couple of reasons for people to have particular mental illnesses. One of them is the rule set, biochemistry. The way the the avatar works is that the consciousness can only experience within the bounds of of what the avatar can provide. You're locked into whatever that avatar can provide. So if if you have a, 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 um, the rule set in the biology, okay, so this is uh, all the physical, all the avatars are part of this rule set. They can only do what the rule set allows them to do. So if in that process of the rule set has a lot of very complex and um, random processes in it, particularly in our biology, how all those genes and chromosomes and everything go together, from the from the father and the mother and how how those billions of combinations can happen to come out. Sometimes they come out with biochemistry that doesn't work right. That's just one of the possibilities. All the possibilities aren't good possibilities. Some of the possibilities are dysfunctional. Well, if your biochemistry just comes out of that uh, that rule set, uh, those those random draws that are made as all that uh, biology takes place, then you have a, a a system, a brain, let's say, that has constraints. It just can't do everything that a normal one can. Same way if you get injured. If you have a brain injury, you get an accident, you get hit over the head with something, then your brain may have new constraints that it didn't have before. So you can have bio, biological, biochemistry constraints, and that's one reason for... Things like schizophrenia and paranoia and other things it 's just biochemistry that 's not under the fat part of, you know that fat part of the curve it 's under the tails of the curve out there it doesn't happen too often, but it does happen some of the time. Another way you can have those is that you can get wound up with your fear if you are fearful, you can become. You know, fear tends to create more fear. The more fearful you are, the more fearful it is you're likely to become. You know, when you're frightened of things, then there's you more things you find to be, you know, that will frighten you. So this can snowball to the point that you become obsessed with your fears, and being obsessed over anything can make you dysfunctional. And this depends on how deep and how far that obsession goes. So. And just the tendency toward obsession can be biochemical. So you see, it's a, it's a mixture of, of uh, constraints in biochemistry and uh, issues with consciousness and fear. So it's every mental illness for each person is unique. It's different. There's certain groups of types. Um, there's Group types probably come out because there are more types in certain groups in biochemistry. Um, there may be certain group types in the in the consciousness too. Remember, your consciousness doesn't come in pure and full of love and you know and ready to uh, you know become a saint. Your consciousness comes in at whatever level it comes in, whatever amount of of uh, entropy you contain. That's what plays out. So there's high entropy consciousness coming in, and uh, all the time, and there's more randomness in that. Remember, high entropy is more random. More things that uh, you know, happen that uh, nobody plans. They just happen that way. So mental illness just exists because the system has tails. In the probability distribution, and there's lots of strange things that can go on out under those tails. And that's true of the biochemistry. It's also true in the consciousness itself. So our, our our point is not so much why they're like that, unless we'd like to be able to fix the biochemistry, then we need to know why they're like that. And maybe we can medicines that help the biochemistry work better. But mostly for us, we just need to deal with it. If it's in our life, if we have a parent or a sibling or a friend or a neighbor or somebody at work that's having emotional difficulties, then that's something for us to deal with effectively. How do you deal with them? Do you scorn them? You know, do you avoid them? Do you have compassion for them? Do you help them? What are the limits to that? Some people you can't help. They won't accept your help. They can't see it. You know, and It's part of our own growth as we interact with people that way, they'll teach us about ourselves as well as about themselves. So that's the point, you know, compassion, caring, learning, and they have to deal with whatever it is they have to deal with. And we have to deal with, you know, things that we have to deal with. And so we're all teachers and we're all students, even those who are mentally ill are both. They're teachers and students. So I don't think there's one cause. It's not just one thing. A lot of it is biological. Less of it is, is uh, consciousness dysfunction. Most of it's biology dysfunction.
0: All right, another question, Tom, from the MBT Forum. Data from the Future Probable Database. Uh, when trying to heal someone, say Fred, when you look into the future to see how effective your, el- your efforts are likely to be, Does the future probability database take into account other factors? For instance, if in two weeks' time a bad weather event is likely to demolish the house where Fred lives, or there's a major problem with the wiring in his house likely to lead to some catastrophe, or is the information returned to you about the probability of healing being computed entirely on the assumption that everything else in Fred's life will be continuing as normal?
1: That depends on your intent. If you have an if you have an intention, if you ask, how will my healing, you know, affect Fred, or how will Fred's health be over the next whatever, and you don't specify anything other than the healing as the as the issue, then that's all you will get. Other things won't be taken into consideration. If you want to ask, how is Fred going to be? A month from now, which means healing weather wise, you know, uh, you know, house burns down or not. You're just asking what's, you know, how Fred's going to be in that time. And you're not in your mind fast and attaching that just to health issues. Then you'll get everything. So you get what you ask for. You get what you intend. Now, sometimes people have sloppy thinking habits when they have their intention. And sometimes they intend for things that they don't intend to intend about. Sometimes their intentions are broad and rather than very precise. So a lot of times people maybe be surprised by what they get back because their intention isn't really that clear or that precise. And that's maybe uh, an issue to deal with. But if your intention is clear and precise, that is exactly what you'll get, no more, no less, only what you ask for. Um, that's uh, sometimes we expect that the system will understand what we really want when we ask for something different generally you're going to get what you ask for even if the system knows that what you really meant to ask for was this other thing you're going to get what you asked for because that's the way the system is going to help you learn to be more precise and to think more clearly without all the fuzzy stuff going on is that they're going to give you just what you ask for So that's typically the way it is. If the system's feeling very kind with you that day and wants to give you what you what you want rather than what you asked for, maybe you'll get that too. It's a you know the system we're talking about is conscious. We're consciousness, a part of it. It's conscious. It's it's makes its own choices. So it gets to choose sometimes one way, sometimes the other. It's not just a machine. It's a conscious being that also has compassion and caring and makes choices. Sometimes it isn't entirely consistent, just like us. So you may, mostly though, you get what you asked for. So if you only ask for health information, that's all you'll get.
0: Right, Tom, another question from an MPT forum user. You've always said, fix yourself first. Uh, Is this counterproductive as you're mostly putting yourself first and trying to find kind of self-focusing on yourself rather than others?
1: Well, that's a good question. It would seem like that's kind of self-referential and all about me, right? Fix yourself first. But unfortunately, you can't fix anybody else. You can't help anybody else if you're a mess yourself. You see, the way we help people is by being good uh, examples, by having good energy, good connections with people. They see that we, uh, you know, we're we're sane, we're happy, uh, life is good for us, and uh, people kind of connect with us mentally. You know, we have the body talk, we have the voice talk, but we also have the the uh, telepathy going on all the time between people. And if you're a mess. You're not capable of helping anybody else clean up their mess. So the first thing you need to do is work on yourself. Now, let's say you've done that and you are successful and you get rid of a lot of your fear and you get lot of a lot of your ego and your beliefs and you've really been successful at that. Now, what you will do is focus on other people because you actually can be useful to other people and you know how to be useful to other people and you understand other people, you feel their feelings, you understand their pain and you can actually be there for them in a way you could never be when it was all about your feelings and your pain. So that's why you have to work on yourself first. Now, that doesn't mean that you, uh, you know, ignore other people. You have to deal with other people all the time. So we Talk with Greg about that. You always have to be involved and engaged. So it's not that you just drop other people off and you can be mean to them while you're working on yourself. Of course not. You know, you're supposed to still be kind and caring and thoughtful as you grow up, but your own growth is primary because you are the only person you can change. You can't change anybody else. You can't make anybody else grow up. Your growth is entirely your choice. So that has to be part of your focus. It doesn't have to be all of your focus. You can still care about other people along the way. You should care about other people along the way, but you have to also care about your own spiritual growth. That has to be a part of it. If you don't, then you're just not nearly as, as helpful. So the grow yourself up doesn't mean grow yourself to the exclusion of caring about anybody else, that would not be helpful. True. It's just constantly be working on yourself. Every choice you make in a day will have consequences. Sometimes the consequences are small, sometimes they're much larger, but consequences always. And you will grow, evolve, or de-evolve based on those consequences of your choices. So always be aware of that as you make choices. So that's what I mean by work on yourself first, is constantly be working on yourself also be caring of other people but you can't just be caring of other people and forget about yourself because now you're being caring then you will be acting like you are caring but you won't likely to be caring until you get rid of the fear and ego in yourself once you're successful now you really can be caring well so I say that because I'm talking almost always to the people who live under the fat part of the probability curve. Most of us will do better as far as helping others if first we get rid of our own fear and ego. Otherwise, we it's hard for other people to be pulled up by us if we're not any further up than they are or even if we're below, if we're behind where they are. Then we pull them down. So, if we want to pull people up, we need to get up ourselves. We need to be up so we can pull them up. Otherwise, we we're we're not optimizing what we can contribute.
0: All right, Tom. There's another question from the MBT forum. Um, this has to do with consequences of self-diagnosis. Now. We would never suggest here, nor would MBT ever suggest that anyone ever self-diagnose themselves. And there's a long, uh, intricate scenario, uh, example here of someone trying to figure out what might be wrong with them health-wise. And what the gist of the question is, does attitude and intent help lower the probabilities of developing a disease?
1: Yes. Yes. And back to that that, uh, idea of uh, self-diagnosis. All of you out there listening probably don't know this, but uh, Donna uh, has a law degree. So when she hears that (laughs) self-diagnosis, Right away comes this this, this banner that says, uh, "No, we're not trying to be medicine. Otherwise, get arrested and thrown in jail for practicing medicine without a license." Right, Donna? I can can read that panic in your eyes. No, 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 we don't want to go there. But yes, yes, indeed, you can. uh, You know look at yourself, diagnose yourself. Everybody does, you know, when you feel bad, you try to figure out why, you know, so that you can stop whatever you're doing, it makes you feel bad, or so that you know what you can do to help it. So self-diagnosis in that sense, of course, everybody does all the time. And one of the ways you can self-diagnose is that you can, if you can get into a good altered state, you can ask to look at your health body look at your health and you can get some information on why are you having this health problem what is the point here and what you could do maybe to heal it and you can get some good information that way if you're capable of getting information that way not everybody is because a lot of people have too much noise in their head they haven't gone through the 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 training of getting rid of all that that noise so they they get information but they don't know that whether it's good or not. They don't have enough experience. So that's one way you can get information. You can heal yourself. Not only can you use your mind to heal others, you can use your mind to heal yourself. And it's done the same way. You are consciousness with intent. You modify future probability, and that's future probability of your own or somebody else makes little difference. Unless when you do it on yourself, you've also got ego and uh, fear involved that you don't have when you do it on others. and. Uh, then there's a problem. Now, of course, that's why surgeons don't operate on their family members. You know, if you're a surgeon and your wife or your children are ill and need a surgeon, you get somebody else to do it. You don't do it yourself because now your ego gets involved, your fear gets involved, and you're not as good as you would be otherwise. You're not detached from the fear and the ego. So it's the same way. Some people have a real hard time working on themselves because their their fear and their ego jumps in the way. But if you can let that go, then working on yourself is as the same as working on anybody else. It modifies probability of the future happening. Um, so, yes, you can learn a lot in a meditation state. If you're unhappy while you're in that meditation state, if you get the point consciousness to where it's just you in consciousness, think about your unhappiness and put out an intent to ask that question. Why am I unhappy? And what can I do about it? What steps do I need to take? And you mostly will get answers to those kinds of questions. But again, if you have a noisy mind, you won't be able to process the answer very well. But those are good things to do. Use your meditation state for your, we call that diagnosis, if you will, for understanding yourself and understanding what's going on with yourself. That uh, is a very helpful thing to do. And then working on yourself. Using your intent to change whatever it is that's creating the problem. But that takes a certain amount of growth where you can see problems that are yours. Sometimes we only see problems in other people. And those are easy to see. Problems in ourselves, not so easy. Because we don't want to look and see things that... That we don't want to see. You know? We just have we have beliefs about ourselves and uh, we often are not very truthful with ourselves and sometimes just the opposite. We're not only truthful with ourselves, but we overreact. We beat ourselves up. We find things wrong with ourselves and then we obsess over how awful we are. And that's not helpful either. That's more ego. That's more fear. So if you can get rid of the ego and fear on both sides of that issue, then uh, meditation is a very good way to diagnose and heal yourself.